welcome to Let's Talk. This evening we're going to be discussing Marvel Netflix's latest offering, Daredevil Season 3. I'm joined as usual by Stuart Bridson. How are you, sir? I'm good, thank you. And you? I'm good after nailing that incredible intro with the fourth time of asking. Yeah, that, that's, that's quite impressive. And to yeah, think thought, I, I was gonna I was gonna build you up and I was gonna say that today I am the foggy to your map, but no hundred percent Nelson, man. I am a hundred percent foggy Nelson. Although to be honest, the way he's been over the last two seasons, Foggy's actually the main man. He was a bit of a badass, actually. Yeah, he, he's rocking up in his nice shirt and his suit and yeah, his, his two thousand nice dollar suits and his brilliant shoes that everyone notices and he's got his uh he's got the beautiful Marcy on his arm. Foggy, it, Foggy Nelson's living large, and there's there's a lot of articles have actually been written about how the real star of season three was his new haircut. <laughs> oh, that's, that's genius. That is absolutely genius. Um, this is going to be a very heavy spoiler-based podcast um, because we are discussing season three in its entirety. Yes. Um, not all 13 hours back-to-back of us discussing it as much as we'd love to. Um, but we're going to discuss all the major plot points, all the major characters, the character arcs, the developments, the action sequences, and then how it all links in with the comics. And to be honest, and this is hand on heart, I think this is the finest series that Marvel Netflix has produced. I I wouldn't argue with that. I'd, I'd also say that this is probably the most accurate live action comic tv show series i i can't other ones have had good 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 moments you know there's been like a really good scene that's been like a panel from a book or there's been a really good character that's been really well portrayed but i can't think of any that have gone an entire series where they have so so accurately taken a a storyline especially an iconic storyline yeah, and just it thrown it on the screen across the entire season. And yes, it's only 13 compared to like Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., which is 24 episodes. But I don't think any of the other of the networks could do what Marvel Netflix have done with this kind of accuracy because they don't have to pander to the same guidelines that, that the networks do. They don't have the same uh-huh. level of censorship and... The censorship is quite a key thing. I I think this series, compared to the ones that have gone before, it wasn't as focused on the violence or the action, which was quite brave. It was just purely focused on the storytelling and the the character arcs, really. Which is very brave when you think it's a show. All of the shows are so action-centric, aren't they? They're they're all about the kung fu and the, the, the mystical elements on some of the other ones and the... The, oh, the, the outright well, violence of like Jessica yeah, Jones, but in well, this, it's well, I'm Punisher, man. I mean, there's nothing quite yeah, as true. Punisher. P- Punisher and season who... one of Daredevil, and then season two of Daredevil, where you had the Punisher jailbreak scene or the jail fight scene. There's nothing as violent as that. I mean, nowhere near that depiction. But they but still got the infamous hallway scene. They did, they did, and we will come back to episode four, which um, is a single episode. That's the one you texted me about. I think it was something like. Daredevil episode four, wow, and that was it. <laughs> it yeah, I, I, honestly, my, my my mouth was on the floor. It was it was quite astonishing. And again, for standout moments in in the whole of the Netflix, and, and actually, I'd go as far as saying TV full stop in in the last 
um, X amount of years. I think I think TV is a point now is a is a high point. You know, TV is now a massive focus um, for for the kind of networks and production, the budgets and the acting quality and everything is just you know has gone through the roof. And and for me, and we talked about this when we did our top five going back a few weeks. Daredevil is one of the finest series ever produced. Without and a this, shadow of a doubt. And this is a standalone. Like you said, I think it's probably one of the greatest comic book adaptations. Like the films themselves, some of them are, you know, have page to page moments and some some incredible things. But this is one of the, you know, most infamous, most, you know, well revered comics in history. It is. Um, and and not just for not just for Daredevil. If you were to ask, oh no, no, certainly if, not. If you were to look at a lot of podcasts or YouTube channels and they were to do a top five uh, Daredevil list, you will always get um, Born Again on there. But then if you start breaking it down and going a bit wider, and you go top ten Marvel storylines, a lot of people will still be saying. I've seen top born again and X Men like born and in anything man. I've seen it in in top hundreds, in the top fifteen, top twenties, top tens of people's just, just neutrals man. Whenever, like, whenever I looked, because I, I bought a, a a big chunk of of Daredevil books after season one, because I always do. Anyone who's listened to us in the past, whenever I watch a new show or a film, I tend to come home and buy anywhere between like three and six graphic novels, so I can. Yeah. And sometimes I try and get them before so can do a bit more reading on characters. And whenever I was looking at, you know, best Daredevil graphic novels, if Born Again isn't number one, it's number two. And if you go, if you were to go and look now, you know, best graphic novels, a lot of lists will feature Daredevil Born Again. And they will talk about the story, the characters, the, the way it impacted Daredevil. You know, it's still impacted by the way it, by what happened now. Yeah, and then my number one favorite thing for him is the artwork. It looks beautiful on paper, and there it's was a, a couple of really comic, good moments yeah. where they made it look just as beautiful in reality. See, uh, I on, like on the screen. I like the modern, like Back in Black, is a great comic, and the artwork is quite noir and quite modern and quite vibrant. And then this, you know, it's just classic artwork. It's it's what I define as like classic comic book artwork. It just looks perfect. Um, and they did, you know, I mean, the series going back to it, they did such an incredible job of telling the story, but and, and as realistic as they could to the the source material, but with their kind of twist on it, with the showrunner's twist on it, and with yeah. the kind of with where the characters have come to, because you can't have Karen Page in a modern sense as a junkie and and you know tripped out and the rest of it, but you can, which we wanted and desperately craved have that flashback where you know where Karen's come from, you know? and That, you know that was probably my favourite episode of the whole series was the one just called Karen Page. The thing is, some people won't like that. So if you remember Stranger Things Series 2, you know, when they go to New York and Eleven yeah. meets whatever number the other person was, like, you know, we've seen the experiments and all that gang. I actually like that episode, but it it's kind of juxtaposition. It hold really, really low on the ratings. It's because it pulls you out of where you are with a story and it never links back. And, and I think that's the thing with that episode. Some people are a little bit like that. But because we're kind of big advocates of Karen, I like that we had that episode in there. It wasn't my favourite. That's four or six 
or even 10. Which or, Actually, no, a tell-a-lie, the finale was my favourite because the finale yeah. was fucking incredible. It, it really was. But it, 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 was, it was mainly amazing. so good because we said when we did, I think it was when we did our season two review, we said yeah. we're never going to get Karen Page as the heroin-addicted porn star prostitute we're never going to get that because it would be too big a drop in the character you can't do that but we hope we get something where she goes off the rails she starts drinking you know after matt died at um at the end of defenders we just said we just want some kind of homage to that arc and they did it perfectly it was a flashback it was five seven ten years before she moved to new york whatever it was it was perfect. It was just showing that Karen's got that destructive side and they tied it in neatly with the whole, we also said after season one when she shot uh, Wesley, why is she so comfortable holding a gun? Why was she not so like perturbed to be holding a gun and actually shooting someone? Well, because she'd been shooting guns with her white trash boyfriend. So yeah. they, they really, really nicely tied up those couple of threads and just round off the character a bit because out of all the characters she was probably one of the ones that we knew the least about and oh, now yeah, we've, so. we've got that little bit of backstory we got a bit more of foggy as well because he'd always made mentions hadn't he about his mum always wanted him to take over the deli and keep the business in the family and i i love the fact we got like three or four really nice scenes of him with the family i just thought it was really brave i i think the overwhelming kind of Taking away the the Fisk story and 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 Matt, which we'll obviously discuss in length, it was very much a kind of focus on on all three major characters as all all three. It wasn't just about Matt, which which is brave, and it, and it was about all their kind of family relationships, you know, and, and how they came to be who they are. It was, it was a, if you look at it over the whole, ep, the whole yeah, season, the, there's a huge vibe, isn't there, of family? Yeah. It, Every it, single one yeah, of them's like, got some real... Bobby, like you said about Karen, like you said about Matt, and we'll talk about that. Um, and like you said about Wilson Fix, again, the background there with the family and and, the, and even even the kind of newer villain in, in Bullseye or... Yeah, know, yeah, or whatever. Yeah, true. Uh, and and also and also the the um the uh, police detective um again it was about his family in the sense of modern family you're not going to get a background on a, a new character like that but yeah family is the overriding thing that's just come to to kind of mind and they they did really that they, they they showed what happens to you as as a kid has such an overriding effect of what you're going to become in the future. And it was very, very interesting and and really well played out because all those characters came together in a couple of kind of explosive scenes, but then they went back and and it's hard to do that. They, the showrunners, the way they develop these series, this series for me is the one that's, you know, the Punisher had a couple of episodes that dipped a little bit. Daredevil season two, we talked about, certainly had those moments with the kind of Electra hand stuff that got a little bit yeah. dull. Um, when the Punisher went out of it somewhat, we lost that edge a little bit. I think series one of Daredevil, Daredevil aside, and Jessica Jones, nah, season one had a couple of dips as well. Maybe um, one or two in, in first season of Jessica Jones. Yeah, but this one to me is the most rounded 13 episodes. There I, wasn't... I, don't, I don't think this had any drops. No, I've... it didn't. 
single one, and it, and that's because that's that, when you think about it across thirteen hours. Set pieces, no, to, it's amazing to, to to keep that level, not not level in terms of quality, but in terms of the adrenaline, because um, we were both ill um, on the Friday, and in in a completely unprecedented move, Rory finished before I did, because I was basically at death's door over the weekend. And I watched, I think it was the first seven episodes on Friday. Yeah. And then you messaged me on Saturday, didn't you? And said that you'd finished, which yeah, was a bit... I was, I was late I, in the night and watched it. I, I was gobsmacked, but I didn't want to finish. Normally round seven, they, they sort of have a bit of a lull and then they pick up for the, the back yeah, half. Yeah, uh, it's, it's, it's the classic kind of... Um, I, I didn't want to go like, to bed. These shows where they go... Do you know what? We'll we'll build up to a kind of mid-season crescendo, and that's like where these series aren't, yeah. aren't held from. Like you know, we've always talked The Walking Dead in the past, where we go right, big opening, big middle, big you know, few months break, back with a big bang, and then build up towards the end of the series. Now, what these things do by dropping thirteen episodes so conveniently on your lap is a case of going right. Here's it all. Binge it if you want, which I think most people do, or just take your time to watch it because you'll still get the same kind of rewards out of a show that's so well done as this by going, you know, I could go back and watch season one, season two, season three over the next three months and still get those same kind of rewards by watching, you know, an episode on the train in the morning and coming back. And I, watching am, I am definitely going to rewatch them all now. But yeah, uh, no, when I went to bed on the Friday, I just had that sense of, I do not want to stop watching this, but I physically have got to get rest. And then I yeah. spent Saturday all day in bed and I watched six episodes in a row back and you didn't to back. Get to end. I could have watched another 13 episodes. I, I could. I, if that I, had been a 24-episode season, I would have watched 24 episodes in three days comfortably and just basically only got out of bed to eat and go to the toilet. That's it. Yeah, and, because and it is saying that something. good. Yeah, I mean, it's saying you're a complete slob, and I think everyone already knew that. But oh, yeah, my my hygiene's questionable on a good day. Yeah, it's 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 like Matt after he's feeling sorry for himself in the church for all those days. Do you know what I mean? It's just not showering, not taking care of himself. And let's go kind of into it really. And you're dropped in to where we expected to be, where Matt is broken, but he's not at his lowest point, and that's yet to come because Fisk. Is is going to be ultimately planning his his, his demise, but and, and they started lost. where we wanted them to, didn't they? Right yeah. at the at the very last second of the defenders, how did Matt survive? There you go. First, what fifteen seconds? That's how he survived. Thank yeah. you very much. No, don't fuck about. Just get straight in, and that's it. That that's what I wanted. And Dude, as soon as they yeah. did that, I knew we were going to be on to a winner because straight away they were saying to me. We aren't going to waste any time. We're not going to take you for a sucker. You've sat through two seasons of this, plus Defenders, plus all the other tie-ins. We know what you want. So yeah, there it we, is. You know, we talked about those other, other series before, and some of them have their merits, and we like certain aspects of them. But when you look at the quality of something like this, and I'd say Punisher and first season Jessica Jones are kind of on you know, a similar scale, but not not this level that all kind of fades into the background. You know what I mean? It all kind of becomes just chatter. Like this is the kind of series that just gets you focused and keeps you focused because I mean, you've got to give it, you know, 
to to everyone involved they are telling stories that we all wanted but i genuinely didn't think they'd be able to give that successfully and all the new characters they brought in were just perfect and you get a sense of that really soon i mean charlie cox probably doesn't get the kind of praise he deserves i I don't think he does you know because whenever i see a, a lot of the reviews i see of it tend to focus on rightly don't get me wrong on vincent d'onofrio who is phenomenally talented yeah and i see a lot of people that really really pile the praise on deborah ann wall as yeah i can can totally deserved she does a brilliant job and she's across the three seasons we've seen different sides of her we've seen her as the the sort of shy retiring wallflower then we've seen her as the sort of you know the emotional wreckage, the emotional wreck, and the the complete sort of almost like a basket case type. And then you yeah. see her in this one, and she's just gone full badass. She's yeah, like I... you know what? I'm not fucking doing this anymore. I'm gonna take down Fisk on my own. What you mean? I might get killed by doing this? Well, bollocks! I'm I'm just gonna do it anyway. And yeah. you know, if Daredevil's the man without fear, she's definitely the woman without fear. Oh, completely. She yeah, was, completely. she's brilliant. Yeah, and. And she was like she was she was as everything you expected it to be, and, and and a little bit more because that backstory just gave her that edge where she was kind of going through the same thing as Matt, where at one point she she'd she'd lost her job, you know, she she'd lost her purpose, and she was so fixed minded on she she'd lost Matt and then she'd found him, but she hadn't found the Matt she was looking for essentially, you know, she hadn't found the Matt that she she left before, and. It was she just, had that hope, didn't she? She was the one. She was the one carrying the hope, but yeah. then she was the one that was carrying the fight to Fisk more than anyone else for a long part of it. And I can see why. Look, she's a great actress. Um, I, I loved her in um, True Blood. Oh, what? True Blood. I was thinking True Detective. That, that True. was a big role, wasn't it? That was the thing that yeah. really launched her. Yeah, because she was she was calling that, and I've seen her in bits and pieces. But um, she's got a really interesting career ahead of her, I think, because she she has got it. I think Charlie Cox, on the other hand, he's had a, a, a really good career, and this is a role he's just made his own. I don't think anyone ever expected him because he's such a softly spoken kind, of gentle type. And and if you hear his accent, he's obviously very British. He's got a very kind of PC accent, but he he he's just perfect in that role. Like I can't think of better casting. I, I was concerned. TV kind of role than him. When, when I first saw him, I looked at him and went. That that doesn't look like Matt Murdock to me, but now I would say it's as good a casting as Robert Downey Jr. and as Chris Evans and as Scarlett Johansson in terms. Face, but I, yeah, I can't in, disagree. In terms, if you just look at him and you just go, "Well, that's that's Daredevil," you just he, yeah, he, he I, and, and without the suit, I kind of loved it even more. And I know everyone's craving for the suit, and we certainly got a character in the suit, but in the all black and the bandana and stuff, I just thought. It's just him. Do you know what I mean? It, it's that kind of real, you know, when it's the, one of my we, favorite we said things. Before, didn't we? It, it, it yeah. was the difference between Daredevil and the Devil of Hell's Kitchen. And I wanted him in the suit because I love that suit. It's such a good representation it of the comic good. suit. Yeah. Without, because you're not going to get TV shows made in 2018 using Lycra. That 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 day's gone. Everyone's using it where it's it's leather based and it's carbon fiber and it's a little bit more, I don't know, 
a lot of people seem to be going a bit steampunky sort of thing. Yeah, but I kind of see that. I, I, I mean, totally see the why they did Bell's it. Bell's Kitchen, the kind of, you know, gritty kind of edge of yeah. New York. It, you know, it, would look stu- like it would look stupid if you, would, if you were doing this really gritty adult TV show and then your main character's wearing a bright red light <laughs> suit. It wouldn't work. Same as the way they don't do it on The Flash and Arrow. And, and stuff like that. They, they they have to move away from it to be slightly more appropriate. Yeah, and it, and it works. But I see why they did in this, because in this series, he isn't Daredevil. Daredevil is a vigilante that believes in the system. He arrests people, gives them to the police, because he believes that the system will do the right thing, and he believes in injustice. No, he's, and, he's and with the system here. He, yeah, yeah he, he says, doesn't he? He says at one point to... Uh, to Foggy, he tells him he's like the system's broken, the system doesn't work. So and there's no Foggy point in me being daredevil. That it's going to be good, but it's not. Man. I, it's I got... am not daredevil. I am the devil of Hell's Kitchen. I wrap giant fucking ropes around my fist and I yeah. beat the snot out of people until they are dangling away from from death. Yeah. And I like the fact that they did that, but now it looks like he's sort of back on an even keel where he sort of is a little bit more back in the Daredevil boat, but he's still got that darkness. And that was the obvious imagery, wasn't it? You had yeah. Fisk in the white suit. He was trying to be the the virtue. He was, I represent good. I, I represent everything that's that's right. And the devil of Hell's Kitchen, he's black, he's darkness, he's evil. He's he's that the nastiness that lives inside all of us. And they yeah. did that on the posters. They were doing loads of... Good versus oh, yeah. bad, angel versus devil sort of things. And the imagery in the posters and the, the TV spots and the little teaser trailers they were doing was all totally flipped on its head of good versus evil. Well, now good is evil and evil is good. But obviously, as you start watching, evil isn't good. He's just pretending to be good whilst being more evil than he's ever been in his life. Certainly true. And, and yeah. that that major thread for me, if, if someone was to say to me what was the, the, the biggest development they made from the show, they have finally shown people how good the kingpin is. He He's not just this big, strong, imposing crime boss. He's He's not just two steps ahead of you. He's preparing his checkmate move, and you haven't even got your pieces out the box yet. That's how far ahead of you he is. You don't even realize you're playing a game, and he's got you cornered. The, the, there were some really clever lines when Agent Nadim's boss said to him, um, he's been watching you for over a year. Why do you think your sister-in-law's health insurance got cancelled? And that was like a bomb went off in my head. I was going, shit. Yeah, me too. So he he's seen, right, well, if I do this, then he's going to have to do this. And then he'll do this other thing. And then it's, this it's other. when he realizes, like Nadim realizes that not just one or two people in the FBI are in on it. There's a whole round table of them. Do you know what I mean? He has got every single element of law enforcement wrapped around his little finger it's, and then you go it, to the other the other areas of the public office imagine how clever you've got to be to do that to one person now yeah. imagine how clever you've got to be to do that to 10 20 50 including yeah. judges and and stuff like that it's it's really now put on the put on the table 
this. Previously, we've met Wilson Fisk. Now we've met the Kingpin. Yeah, and they 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 showed that as much. You know, they they showed the point where they went from him looking dour in his kind of neutral prison style suit with with a table in a, a, a fancy penthouse, nothing else around him, to the white suit. You know, the closet full of white suits and the ridiculous. You know, all the artwork on the floor, on the walls, all the accessories, everything he wanted. He's basically got his life back under police. Supervised, you know, he's just there back manipulating everyone. And there's one point you go and you're like, Well, he's won. Do you know what I mean? They they give the impression that he's won, and you know, you know, good versus evil, you know, it's not just going to be that. But the fact that he's he's bended everyone into his will and everyone just falls for his subtle kind of games. Um, and when he has to be violent, he would be. But it wasn't about that. It was about the manipulation of everything. He didn't have to raise his fist to, to rule over Hell's Kitchen. It was just, it was so well played out. And I think, you know, and I'm trying to do this, but just the way Matt starts where he'd lost all his senses um, and there's a few subtle points, you know, when they start to come back and he puts his feet on the floor, takes his socks off, or puts oh, his feet yeah. on the floor. It's just subtle, subtle genius. That, that was really powerful, wasn't it? He, he spots was. that. He spots that yeah. little um, netty pot on the um, on the shelf, and yeah. he goes and rinses out his nose. And you yeah, see, that's probably him, the most brutal part of the whole series. He that, kind of that huge glob of blood out, and then straight away you can see the lights gone on behind his eyes, and those yeah. brilliant where he. He touches the wall, and as he touches it, you just get that little of the hum of the yeah, city, uh, and then it fan. starts getting louder. And I was getting really, I, just thinking about it now, he's getting me really excited because it was like he's coming back, he's coming back, and he's he's getting his senses. And like you say, it started to build, and he was getting a little bit better and a little bit stronger. And when he had the boxing match as well, yeah, he's, get, he's getting punched, and you're going. Oh, this is so painful to watch. Because you're used to seeing him struggle. And at that point, he's starting to get his rhythm back. And then he goes out onto the streets and gets the shit kicked out of him. Um, And he's just not the daredevil, not the Matt that we're used to. Because he was always, least in a fight, usually one step ahead of everyone else. Do you know what I mean? Even though he has got those issues in terms of, you know, when his eyesight is gone and all his senses are dialed down, he's not going to be the same guy do you know what i mean it's just impossible so it's it's a big psychological battle for him and a big part of that is obviously joanne wally wally yeah say it like sister the pixar maggie. film um sister maggie who's obviously his mum and and again obviously that's matt's character that's his family arc that's his his overriding thing um there's a lot of parts in the gym where he's obviously reimagining his father um which again is really powerful stuff but his mum's so kind of desperate to help and so important for his you know she's she's tough on him do you know what i mean she is tough on him until the moment that he finds out that it's his mum and And what a brilliant reveal as well I i wondered how they were gonna do it I thought they were going to drop it even later and, I, and I'm glad they didn't because you needed it to come and then Karen to find out and the way it kind of span out and, and unraveled with that church scene. I, um, I thought it was going to be something along the lines of he was going to have got the shit kicked out of him 
and she was going to be over his body and she was going to say something. But the way they did it, where he, he hears her from, you know, he's in the basement and she's upon the main church floor. So it's going through about 10 foot of solid stone and concrete. Doesn't matter with his hearing. Yeah. But she, she has obviously just momentarily forgotten how tuned those senses are and the way it came out and he didn't layer it on thick as well it was just that no. subtle line where she just said blah 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 our son and then you see him and he goes <gasps> and that's it it was like uh, that was a really powerful scene it really was. powerful yeah, it was and, and the scenes with her and the scenes in the church and obviously the the talk of the church has been quite an overriding impact on, on daredevil in in terms of the development because matt grew up as a as an orphan for a spell you know he grew up without parents in the church um and his relationship with the father who i can't remember the character um as such who ultimately has his demise um which which was sad again you know pivotal character but they had to they had to kill someone with which I didn't want to be Foggy or I didn't want to be Karen. Do you know what I mean? I certainly didn't want it to be his mom. And I think they still had to have that kind of impact at some point along but the you, line. But you've read the book, haven't you? So yeah. you you probably picked up on the visual cue. Yes, that scene in the church where fake Daredevil slash Bullseye throws the club and you see Karen all of a sudden go, that's what yeah. happens in the book. But obviously, in this case, the priest has jumped in front and has taken the billy club. But just in that split second, I thought that I, I didn't think she was going to die, but I thought she'd been hit, and maybe it was no, going to have gone I, like through, but not not hit anything vital. Yeah, I I, I didn't think they were going to do it because it's not the same Karen. Do you know what I mean? It, it yeah. is a different, and I think ultimately those three. You know, are as as equally important as each other in this series. We've said that they they all have very fundamental, you know, overriding elements to to them. You know, Foggy has basically the big moments where he wants to take everything into his own hands because he's trying to be by the law, but no one else is listening. So he's he's running for I can't remember what it is, what kind of office he's running to be. He's going for the DA, district attorney. Yeah district attorney and and his his scene when he goes to give that speech and karen's not there and what karen's doing is confronting fisk face to face which is insane um it really is and you could see as well the the angle that she was taking yeah that that whole scene that must have been a very interesting scene to to film for them because there was just the two of them there was no no extra fbi agents or anything and Vincent D'Onofrio's voice when he's doing the kingpin, he's really, he's gruff and he's very authoritative, but he's very eloquent, isn't he? He pronounces everything and he comes off so intimidating. She must have been a little bit nervous sitting across from him and then when he's walking around and... He's a very interesting character. I mean, D'Onofrio as an actor has had a, a pretty illustrious career He's, he's he's been around the block you know let's put it that way um because he did films like full metal jacket back in like the you know mid 80s you know so yeah. he, he's been in and you know quite well-known films over the years he's done he's think- done all different levels hasn't he? he's done from little little things on the big screen to big things on the little screen right up yeah. to hollywood blockbusters yeah but i think this is the character that kind of best kind of gets the best out of him you know he he's allowed to be 
menacing and, and intimidating with his stature and his physique, but the eloquency, as he said, and the way he speaks and that manipulation is what ultimately wins Dex over because he, he understands, you know, Dex's psyche. He really does his homework and really does his work to understand what are the trigger points. And do you know, and- do you know one one thing that I love about his portrayal is his, his never-ending respect for authority. He always yeah. refers to people. He always called Nadim special agent. He never yeah. just calls him Nadim. He always calls him special but, agent. Yeah, and he, he does keep referring to people about with respect and how he respects his what he's done. Miss Page. You know, yeah. it's always Miss Page, Mr. Nelson, things that he, he... And whether it's sincere or whether it's supposed to be intimidating, you don't quite know. But it's no. like a little idiosyncrasy, whether that's something that D'Onofrio has added himself or whether they've written it. It's I think that, they've written it because it's so well scripted, this show. I, it's I one think of my favourite things about his yeah. whole portrayal is, it. to me, it seems almost overly sincere. Like he's calling him special agent when really he knows you are my bitch. If I tell you to do something, you will do it. If you don't, I can have another FBI agent that you've known for 10 years shoot yeah. you in the back of the head. He doesn't call him Dex, does he? He calls him Point Dexter. He gives him his full, you know, title. I and think, even before that. then, he's calling him Special Agent Point Dexter. He's, yeah. he's always layering on the formalities when he could call everyone gobshite and no yeah. one's going to complain because everyone who works for him knows if you so much as glance at him wrong, he could literally rip your head off with his bare yeah. hands. And, yeah. and the way when when... Nadim gets introduced to the the rest of the inner circle. We don't mention his name. We we call him Kingpin. They've got such a level of fear ingrained oh, yeah. into them. We do not say the name Fisk because if anyone's listening and we're the reason that he gets in trouble, I'm dead. I am so far beyond dead. It's not worth it. And he, no, completely. They, they and and I mean, he's such great length. Pivotal character in this, as we know, um, and and Matt's obviously ultimately the the one we'll, we'll come on to talk about, especially for some of the action sequences. But the main antagonist throughout the kind of smaller level stuff is Dex, is you know Wilson Bethel's portrayed character, and he's really intriguing. Like I, you know, the psychological issues in his background. Um, the scenes we get flashing back. It's very hard for me when you're going on a season three of something where you've got loads of established characters, you know your overriding plot arc, to bring in another antagonist. And they often do it, but they're not often portrayed and, and done and executed as well as this character was. And, you know, ultimately, you know you're getting the bullseye character, but you don't know, and you said this a few times when we've been chatting, how they're going to make that successful, how they're going to get his psychological problems out in the open. Yeah. And this form, it was the OCD and, and the psychological problems with the therapist and listening to their tapes and, and whatnot. Um, and that kind of, it's the OCD that's the overriding element of it. Um, but it's how you get his skill set on screen without it being cheesy and, and over the top and a bit too, you know, it. You know, the guy can curve things, curve bullets, and throw things off walls. Because you had that. For anyone that's already seen the the Daredevil film, the Ben Affleck one, they had some really silly moments where Colin Farrell's bullseye is. He, he oh. takes out a paperclip and he straightens it, and then he like almost flicks it into this guy's throat. 
And I, I'd said several times, I Bullseye is a great villain. Yeah. But he can fall into the cheesy category. And they did it really well. The, one of the most clever ways they did it, when when Dex comes back and he realizes that Nadim and, and Matt are in his in his apartment and he collects those glass shards off the chandelier. Yeah. Totally believable that somebody would be able to throw these long shards of glass as a weapon, as like a little like a spear or a crossbow bolt. Way more believable than paper clips or in the comics he uses playing cards. That's the side I didn't want them to do. If he's throwing ashtrays, even throwing a stapler when they're in the the newspaper offices, that's a more believable weapon than a paperclip or like throwing the actual staples themselves. So you wouldn't let that guy near a stationery shop though, would you? Do you know what I mean? He would be, you wouldn't even let him near the fucking vegetable aisle. He could probably kill you with an onion. He's just so deadly, man. Like if you were in a stationary supply shop, it felt like Jason Bourne on speed because Jason Bourne's quite notorious for using like a rolled up newspaper, you know, rolled up magazine or a, or a, or a pencil and stuff like that. It's quite close combat. Get your hands on anything. Use what you can. And that guy's just so brutal with everything. You know, he's throwing staplers. He's throwing this, that and the other. And against a guy who Matt really doesn't have the beating of him in that current condition. Do you know what I mean? And if he hasn't got full use of his senses, which are still kind of coming back as the film develops, do you know what I mean? Then, Because even when he's at his best, even when Matt's radar sense is working, he still struggles against Bullseye because he is so accurate. But he's not yeah. just accurate for things that he wants to hit. He can be accurate for things that he doesn't want to. So he could throw something to Matt's left or right, knowing that if he moves, he'll get him with Matt- the ricochet. Matt got close to him was obviously the ropes that he defined on and just making sure he can get as close to him as possible. Yeah. But the real clever element is the fact that you you know at that point when he's had the, the duplicate suit made and then he's going to basically, he's going to bring Matt's life around him. You know, once Kingpin discovers who Matt is, you know, obviously makes his life go to hell. You know, it, it, it basically ruins him as a, as a person because he breaks down all the elements that he's built up in his career and his, his reputation and obviously his lease and his bills and all the rest of it. And you get Matt at his kind of lowest point where he has to go back to the gym. And it was really well defined that because it's such a strong comic kind of arc. And you did see Matt at his lowest, but you had the people around him that were kind of willing to fight. And there's a couple of points where Matt just just decided that this is it now. Do you know what I mean? He's going to take the fight to Wilson Fisk. And we've got to go to episode four before we kind of revert back to some of the other sequences. And that prison sequence where he's going to find, you know, they're basically trying to find the character um, that, they realise Fisk has, has paid off. To, yeah, the guy that stabbed him. And, yeah. and again, that that's the level of, of criminal genius. Yes, it I'm is. Go, I'm going to pay you to stab me so that I can barter with the FBI to get released, to give them information. But, I mean, you start thinking about that and it makes your head spin. But also, to be willing to let somebody stab you as part know. of your master plan. There's not a lot of, of villains that would be willing to go to that length 
No, and that violence, you know, when he obviously flings the um, the weights onto the guy yeah. and pins him down with the bar and attempts, like, uh, and decides to pull out of smashing the, the, the weight into It looks like he's about to just snap his head it just completely clean off, doesn't it, using the yeah, weight? Yeah, and you don't, you the time you go, why didn't he do that? Do you know what I mean? Because I was thinking, well, is it to do with not getting a longer prison sentence? Is he realising this, that and the other? And ultimately, the, this, that niggle in the back of your mind going, why didn't he do that? Why didn't he do that? Why didn't he kill him? And when you find out why, it's just that great point of going, you know, this is what Matt's aiming towards. But when that comes crumbling down around him, it just, it, it keeps sucking you into going, right, Matt's gotten out here. He's got something he can use to get his name back. They've got something they can use to put Fisk away. Um, and it, it keeps falling through. But we have that great kind of hallway, one-shot, incredible fight scene that we're used to. But it's Matt more... It's not at his strongest, so he's taking so much damage throughout that fight, and it's such a brutal fight that goes on and on and on, and you just kind of want Matt to get out. And as soon as he kind of finds an out, he's then got to break out of the prison. Do you know what I mean? It's still going on. So it's like this is relentless adrenaline heart-pumping stuff. And that, I just my eyes that scene, unlike a lot of the others, I think a lot of the, the other hallway scenes, certainly the one from the first season, it yeah. starts off really high tempo and then you can see them all getting more and more fatigued, can't you? And the yes. punches get a little bit more laboured. This seemed to be the opposite where it seemed to get more high tempo. It did. It like, then they start, they, like they turn another corner and then there's a load of real guards and then the tear gas comes in and then they go into that break room and you've got people, you've got inmates stabbing the guards and yeah. it just, it seemed like every time they turned a corner, it went up another gear and another gear and it looked, it was exhausting to watch. Oh, it was. And then you get Matt outside and he pretty much flings his corpse into the back of the taxi. Yeah. And if they've done that in, it looks like another one shot because I can't see how they could have edited no, that together. No, I think it's a one shot. I think it's a one shot. That does seem to be one of their big tropes now, isn't it? Is the it's got to be in a hallway and it's got to be a one continuous shot. That is an incredible undertaking to get that much energy and that much action in one go. Yeah, and to and to have it look that good with that many different people and that many different twists and turns and different elements. Yeah. It's incredible to think how much work goes in to like a two and a half, three minute scene. Yeah. It, it, oh, it is something else. Yeah, it is something else. And that's the kind of scene that, you know, like the other ones talked about those action scenes that it's, it's the kind of action scene I want in, when I'm watching something. I, I, I want that level of reality, you know, that brutality, that, kind of honest depiction of what it'd be like i don't you know as much as and i, and I occasionally want the big bravado comic book action stuff do you know what i mean it's great when you get those kind of sequences and you're watching marvel movies or dc movies but ultimately the stuff that really resonates with me is that close hand-to-hand combat and and you know there's nothing better than daredevil for that i you know punisher no. is all about the weapons and they do it so so well um but none of the sequences we had in like iron fist or luke cage or they don't compare you know they don't compare they don't get near it and i think we've talked about matt as a martial artist and the work he's done before and he just 
it's so downplayed, but he, he's so good at it. You know, he's such a tough, tough guy and he's always in incredible shape and people don't maybe give him the props for that. Um, and yeah, that sequence was the one, but then we had the, you know, the deck sequence in, in the daredevil suit where he's, he's slaughtering people and then they get their first fight together. And that again, I my heart was racing when I was watching that. It's it's just phenomenal television. It really did take things up a notch. And even if you've read the comic, it doesn't matter because you don't know which way things are going to develop, really. Because you no. didn't think, you know, you just don't know which way it's going to go. Um, they they the changes they made to the to the comic story were so well done. They they. They didn't. It didn't feel like they were changing it because oh well, this wouldn't really work on TV. It it everything that they changed totally suited the previous two seasons plus all the tie-ins plus the wider sort of universe that they've got. It all just fit into yeah. this Marvel Netflix universe perfectly, without having and even the new characters that they brought in. You know, yeah. Nadine was a really really good character. He was. In the space of 13 episodes, you went from, oh, he's a good FBI agent. Oh, wow, he's having a really hard time at home. <laughs> oh, God, what a dick. Okay, he's not that much of a dick. You know, in 13 episodes, he's come in. He's been explored on every different level. And then he yeah. even gets his redemption arc right at the end in 13 episodes from start to finish is quite incredible because like you said in by the third season you don't want to be introducing too many extra characters because by this point we knew there was a load of conflict with matt you had matt coming back from the dead which was going to be one thing you had his fractured relationship with karen and and foggy you had all the stuff with kingpin we knew we were getting a new villain so then to throw in God... mother as well and, and that's a big factor yeah there. the the, so... the mother thing is it was a huge angle so to then throw in another new character but it it couldn't have been done any better because they needed that character they needed somebody relatable well, to to switch sides didn't need to go from team kingpin to team yeah, daredevil and they they needed to show someone who was so he was an honest cop in you know the traditional sense do you know what i mean he wasn't a crook he was just a family man he was just um, a guy who fell on hard times wasn't he but we, uh, we then find out that all of his hard times have all been manufactured because on some somehow Kingpin has got some kind of psychiatric evaluation where he knows that if I pressure this guy here and here, he's in my pocket. Oh, he knows. He knows all the all the manipulations, and 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 someone like you can see how easy it is for him to manipulate those kind of people. Like you know, the the FBI guys are just so easy to manipulate. It's so simple for them. It, it, you know, he does that without breaking a sweat. You know, whereas oh, yeah, he, he does that while he's cooking his omelette. Yeah, exactly. That's while he's garnishing his omelette that he loves so much. Um, and that's the thing about him. He's just such a kind of subtle manipulator. But you needed that character out to see this is what he can do. And this is how he can do it. And this is how he's so powerful, you know. Um, and there's a couple of moments in there when you realize just how smart he is when they go to the bedroom and then go down the secret passageway into the kind of 
I don't know, I felt like it was something out of Batman a little bit more, you know, where you've got um, the kind of Overwatch of the city kind of situation. Yeah. It's, it's just felt something that, that I've seen before, but it was such a clever, subtle thing to do. It was the way they did it. We, I mean, you, you expect something like that from a guy that calls himself the Kingpin, but it was more about the reveal, wasn't it, of this has been here the whole time, right underneath the nose of the FBI, while you're watching me, in bed, in inverted commas. I'm, you know, a couple of flights of stairs down. I'm ruling over my empire and you think I'm counting sheep. It was was just, again, just another one that shows you think you're clever. You are garbage compared to my intellect. I've, I've orchestrated everything over the past, like, 12 months, two years, whatever, to get me to this point. And you're all just pawns in this game of mine. Yeah, exactly. And I mean, that's the thing. It's a game for him. But ultimately, and we talked about Thanos before in the comic arc, where he's just essentially a big lovesick puppy, isn't he? Yeah. I mean, he's he's slightly pissed off with Matt for being a bit of a hindrance. Um, But he's mainly just worried about his, his, well, you know, then waifu at the time when it, when it, came to that that's that's what he was vanessa was his main you know focus point um and when she showed that evil turn which he kind of knew she had in her um he just felt like right they're not gonna that's not gonna win here do you know i, I felt like right they're just gonna keep him going for another season and keep him you know being the protagonist and and the and the, the major issue in the daredevil kind of series because he's such a good villain and it's it's magnetic you can't take your eyes off it no it's 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 such a great performance and it is hard for you know charlie cox to compete with that but i genuinely think he does and and we get that really great final episode where everything just kind of culminates in in the way you wanted it to and it's almost a kind of happy ending arc in a lot of ways which is kind of all right but it's taken a hell of a lot to get to that point um and there's a lot of chess pieces and a lot of moving parts. And it's really, really good script writing. I think that's what we said before. Yeah. The, the, Above all else, if, if you strip back everything, if you strip yeah. back the action and the casting and the production and the blah, 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 underneath it all is a good script. A and, really good script. And that's all that matters. At the end of the day, other things come and go. You, you can make up you can make up for certain things, you know, certain things can be tuned in post-production or certain things can be made to look better by somebody else's performance. But if your script isn't good enough, then the whole thing will always have that sort of current of, well, it it could have been a bit better. Yeah. It it is just a good script. You need a cast to be able to deliver the script. Don't get me wrong. You need a director to know what to do with the script and a production team to make it happen. And the set design and everything else that comes along with it. Don't get me wrong. But the script is the fundamental thing. And I think whenever we talk about films and we always go back to Batman and and whatnot, um, and the really good, you know, Marvel films and, and, you know, all the films I I love very dearly, the script is the overriding thing for me. Um, You you could have the best cast in the world, the best fight coordinator, the best uh, production team, the best special effects guys. But if your script isn't solid and can't get the performance out of those people, if you don't give them the right lines to deliver, no. it doesn't matter if you're the greatest actor of all time. 
if you're delivering garbage lines that don't stay true yeah, to a character we've seen then... that so many times in recent you know it i i think you know even even a, it's just to cross compare it a little bit but like game of thrones is obviously grandioso huge show like nothing else like it ever been on t- tv probably you never know nothing like i was going to say like, probably nothing yeah. ever will especially no, when you look at the sort of budget I know they're doing a Lord of the Rings Amazon Prime with a huge, huge budget. Um, and that was just to buy the rights, the crazy money on the episodes and whatnot. But to, to get near the kind of Game of Thrones level, the big things for everyone that stands out, and you could talk about your hard homes and you can talk about your um, Battle of the Bastards and that kind of stuff. But most of the episodes people remember are things that relate to the script. So, you know, Red Wedding and... You know, the really memorable scenes in there when Tyrion's just being so good and Littlefinger and whatnot. It's 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 the script and, and that's the things that stand out to people. It's it the battles are part of it, don't get me wrong. And, but the and battles the are a result of those little moments, aren't they? The little moments yeah. all culminate with two thousand people on a field twatting each other with swords. You don't get to those fights unless Ramsay is such a bastard throughout, you know, and it's all that kind of thing. And you're right, and it is all about the script and the way it's done, and it, you do feel that. If, if the script isn't right in these shows, then it lets down the whole thing. Um, and that's because... where the fall down has been of, for example, Luke Cage. A lot of people <laughs> really, the, the, the major standout bit of that was a lot of people said, well, the script of season two of Luke Cage just wasn't that no. good. And it, it I, I said the fight scenes, were an issue. fight scenes are an issue for me a little bit, but that, you know, the, the way it looks and the way it sounds, particularly Luke Cage with that style and obviously all the music and everything looks amazing. Sounds amazing. The script's crap. Yeah. And it is, let's be honest. And it was the same with Iron Fist season one and, and it improved somewhat in season two. But then the main villain in that kind of had a bad script because you just didn't believe it. Whereas, yeah, you're going to believe every word. You you can't was. not believe. You would believe if you saw Vincent D'Onofrio on the street, you would believe that he was the kingpin. Because I would he, run the other way. He, yes. he put heart and soul and blood and sweat and tears into into this performance, into, into really bringing it into life. Yeah. Yeah, he really has. And, he... and you, you can't really, you can't get away from just how good the action is in this. There's some absolutely killer fight scenes in it. There really, oh, there really is. I mean, we've already mentioned the prison, which is incredible. You've got Daredevil versus Daredevil in yeah. the newspaper, where something that we haven't really seen across the other two seasons is Matt is the underdog. Matt yeah. is actually having his arse handed to him and every time he thinks, oh, well, I'm going to go that way, something else goes whizzing past him. And he's actually and the funny thing is, a lot you know of they damage. do Daredevil versus Daredevil and you know in a lot of shows and a lot of films we always say they do the man versus his inner demon and, you know, basically it's a reflection of themselves. For, for, for a strange feeling, even though the other man is dressed up in the suit, it didn't feel like that. It didn't feel like Matt battling his demons. It felt like him battling something different because they are a different match to each other they're not the same you know their skill set is very very different in terms of their fighting and what they can produce um and yeah that that scene was brutal and matt was beaten he he was it's also one of the few times in in hero tv shows he didn't just get beaten he got destroyed yes he he, he really had a moment there where he actually realized 
even though I'm not at my best, I'm not even remotely close to this guy's level. No. And and that that's some that was seems to be quite a learning experience for him because especially when his radar sense by this point hasn't fully come back. There's quite a lot of humility to the character. I, I've never thought of, of Daredevil yeah. as, uh, you know, but the, at the same instance, because he plays on the fact that he's blind and he uses it as an advantage, you know, in, in everyday terms, uh, you know, in the courtroom and whatnot, because he can read people's senses and heartbeats and tell if they're lying and things like that. He's got a little bit of a sense of kind of arrogance in the background. And there's been times where he's brought that to the fore. And it's often been then stripped back because he's been, you know, he's lost for whatever reason. Do you know what I mean? There's something happened that that has set him back. Um, He's been beaten by someone else or something's happened. And this did just strip him right back. And then that was probably the the point where you realise yeah, I'm not sure how he's going to win here. Do you know what I mean? I, you know, it, it looked I know kind he, of hopeless, didn't it? it yeah, it, it did really because they lost like... their key character who was going to be interviewed and going to put Fisk back in jail. And you didn't then know who they were going to go to. And Nadim to be the, the one to turn and to ultimately know that he was going to lose his life, I think, is, is a very powerful thing because he felt like he was just helping his family. But he did bad things to help a bad person and yeah it, it was very powerful that story as you said i think you got to see a lot of his family as well do you know what i mean you got to see his background and his kid and what it meant to him and his wife and it was very interesting i, I think they they twisted that extremely well and ultimately it's what was the you know it's what beat fisk and i mean that's you know matt was determined to kill him because he thought it was the only way but you know matt has that conscience he has that heart that he knows deep down that you know they found a solution which is which is which is good although he's just in prison again and he's a very strong determined man that might get out of prison at some point in the future if they ever keep that going yeah and the in in terms of all the all the scenes that that final scene where you add Dex and Daredevil and Kingpin. That was that was one of one of my standout moments of the of the whole Daredevil run, because it was so frantic. Because as you said, Daredevil's gone there. His original intent was I've got to kill Fisk, but right at the last second he realizes I I don't have to kill Fisk. Yeah. And then they bring they they all they use Dex, don't they, as a pawn because they know that he'll take out all the security people, he'll do their work for them, and he'll do it with a hell of a lot more viciousness than than Matt and would possibly efficiency. be capable of. Yeah, yeah he, he's definitely efficient because, as we've seen, he's he's proficient with ev- everything as a weapon to him. So. He, he can do things that Matt either can't do or certainly can't do as easily. But that moment where Fisk picks him up and slammed him spine first into the corner oh of the my wall God. made me jump because that, that looked horrendous. And it wasn't flat. It was right onto the corner of a solid brick wall. It felt like a wrestling move, like a real extreme, you know, cage fight kind of move. That was the exact thing that got me because Fisk has trained in in the comics. 
he's done like sumo wrestling and stuff like that. So oh, he, yeah. he is, he's not just a big fat fucker. He is, he's a oh, fighter. No, no, no. He, he's, he's, a, he's, he's a brawler. He's a brawler, man. Yeah, And, he and is. they paid off a really, really cool um, comic arc with that as well. Because as, as we saw in the post credit scene, I couldn't not mention this. Anyone that didn't pick up on this. So him slamming Dex into the wall, he's broken his back. He's severed his spinal cord. And then when you see him face down and he's having that operation, what he's actually having done is he's having adamantium, as in Wolverine adamantium, grafted onto his spine, which in the comics he has done voluntarily because he keeps getting beaten by Daredevil. And he realizes that adamantium is going to make him a bit stronger, a bit more resilient. It improves his reflexes. And they've sort of done that as... You know, he's not exactly done it as a choice per se, but he consented no. to the surgery rather than risk being left in a wheelchair. And the guy that was performing it, I forget what his name is, he's the guy who pioneered the surgery from the Weapon X project. So they've sort of tied that in to original X-Men law, which was a really nice, subtle hint. Yeah, and it but was the, the, the art shot that, with the, the crosshairs in the eyes, you know, with the yeah. cool sign stuff. Yeah, and, it was and cool. You like, get the sense you know, when he's back. It wasn't the most subtle thing, but you know, they. I'm glad they did it because we don't know what the future for Marvel Netflix is. They, they've cancelled Iron Fist, they've cancelled Luke Cage. Neither of which are that surprising to me, but the fact that Netflix makes so much telly does, you know, and they seem to renew things that I wouldn't necessarily think are very good do you know what i mean but well, these shows the aren't that I've, cheap to make i've been watching um, a lot of videos lately about why these have been cancelled and without going into it too much long story okay. short it is all about money and the viewers the viewing figures um, they're not it, strong enough it, yeah. it's, it's not just the viewing figures that that netflix use as a metric for success it's interaction and how much people talk about and Luke Cage season two, for example, only got about 25% of the online reaction that season one did. Whereas yeah. Daredevil season two got about 50 to 60%. So it, it yeah. had a big a big peak, then it dropped when obviously it's off the air. Then season two comes back and it has another peak. Well, those peaks for Iron Fist and Luke Cage were nowhere near as big as for no. Daredevil and Jessica Jones but mostly that the headline seems to be it's purely about money because they buy the episodes in blocks and the second yeah. block that they bought was significantly more expensive than the first and then the third would be more than the second you know to pay yeah. Mike Coulter and Finn Jones and all the extra people and and every time they do a new series the actors get more money well you yeah. can't justify Luke Cage season 3 with a pay rise when season there's a lot two of hints about get. spin-offs as well and i think we've both established that um you know we want heroes for hire and da- um, daughters of the dragon even if it's yeah. only like a 6 ep- episode mini series i'd be more or eight than happy episode with that. yeah if they could do the defender star thing yeah i'd, I'd be that would that. be cool as anything but they they've confirmed that while they they're not getting new series of their own they are still they're not been in the characters they are still going to be appearing in others we don't know what because jessica jones season three is finished um filming now and i don't know whether they finished or they're very close to finishing punisher season two so obviously anything that's been filmed for that that that's already set in stone 
don't know what comes next. Um, when Vincent D'Onofrio was asked about, I think it was day before yesterday, someone asked him on Twitter, what's the likelihood of a season four of Daredevil? He just said two words, very likely. Well, I mean, it's going to do exceptionally well. It's it's a huge buzz. Um, I think it's kind of got the perfect release um, because... You know, there isn't a lot of the cinema at this stage. I mean, there's some popular films, but nothing that's pulling up any trees. There's no kind of major comic book stuff at the minute. Um, and it's the kind of series that does get traction for, for online because it's such a quality show. People talk about it. There's a load of buzz around it. And they mar- wouldn't you say as well, they've marketed this better than they have any of the others? Yeah, and I think it's quite an easy thing to market, but I think they have done. I mean, you're talking about online footprints and stuff. If anyone wants to follow our iTunes account, retweet us, like us, talk to us, then that would be really nice because that's the thing for us. It's getting that kind of exposure. And Netflix do it extremely well, you know, because and they're they very... It, they do it so constantly. It could literally be a 10-second teaser trailer on Monday. Well, and they love stuff like... But then on Thursday, they do another poster, and then they do another one three... For about the last month, we've had something, it feels like every three or four days, either a picture or just a tweet with, you know, Unleash the Devil, something like that. There's always just a little tiny, like a a trailer crumbs. Focus into it. But also, it's not just that. It's you've got your joe.co.uk, you've got Unilad, you've got all these kind of websites, IGNs and whatnot, and everyone's buzzing about Daredevil. And that that just has a massive impact. You know, it's more and more people talking about it. Online presence makes all the difference. I mean, it's it's what made Making a Murderer so huge is that everyone went and told their friends, get Netflix, this show's amazing. Um, And then everyone talked about it and then everyone liked it on Facebook, you know, comments on Facebook and all this kind of spin-offs. And it's, it's, that's what does, you know, I think Netflix are quite bad at flashing things up for you. That's new when you might appeal to you. They don't smartly kind of go off what you've watched previously as well as other websites and other things do like Amazon on the website and whatnot. Um, but what they do well, Netflix, is they, they use exceptional word of mouth to get these things out. And Daredevil is such a high quality thing that all the critics love it. The public love it. Rotten Tomatoes love it. They talk about it. Articles come out about it. Good actors kind of, you know, and they are in all the things, these actors, they are, you know. And now, well now they've started on the press tour as well. So now yeah, exactly. they, they've started getting the, the big one that's out at the minute is so Vincent, um, or the, the asked or the cast. So which character would you most like to uh, to cross over, Vincent D'Onofrio? Oh well, I think the fans would kill me if I didn't say Spider Man. So now everyone's instantly going, oh my god, can you imagine if they managed to get Spider Man in Netflix? But think about it the other way round. Out of all we we've said in the past, haven't we? I wanted Stephen Amell to be. Justice League's Green Arrow in the films. I wanted Grant Gustin to be the Flash. You could realistically take the Marvel Netflix kingpin and put him in a Tom Holland MCU Spider-Man film. 100%. And also, you could put Daredevil in there. I would like to see Charlie Cox involved because I think he's good enough. And and I think Karen Page is a side actor. Do you know what I mean? I I just think because because Vincent D'Onofrio was done Hollywood blockbusters, you know, like being in Jurassic World. He's been in, you know, films that cost $100 million, $150 million. You, you could easily do him, but him saying that just made the internet collectively wet its pants. And yeah, then... because, you know, Fisk is such a pivotal 
you know, figure in, in Spider-Man. And well, because the whole setting of New York and everything else, you know, it, it makes sense to, to have a bit more of that. We know that Spider-Man Far From Home isn't going to be as centred around New York, but we would hope maybe the third film would come back to that. You know, that's what I would hope. Anyway. There's not many, many villains who are split like that. You know, you think Joker, Batman, Lex Luthor, Superman, Magneto, yeah. X-Men. But if you said to me, Kingpin, I'm literally 50-50 between Daredevil yeah, and Spider-Man. So the, there's not many others. I, I, I actually can't think of any off the top of my head. No, there who, are. Who per, there many. are others, but not who are sort of as dead sent because you think he was pretty much the... He, he was the overarching villain of the, the animated series. He was the one that like put together the Sinister Six, you know, in the Spider-Man animated show. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So for a lot of people like us, that was their introduction to, to the Kingpin as a character. So people will have grown up thinking, oh, well, he's a Spider-Man villain. But then we'll now be going, well, shit, he's actually a Daredevil villain. So they, if they were ever, I don't know whether they do. I don't know whether they've had conversations or even thoughts about it. I if don't think ever that, yeah. a time to even remotely connect the MCU universe and the Netflix universe, Vincent D'Onofrio is the key to, to doing that. And yeah, just, and I think because Disney is now on. moving its streaming service and all the stuff they're going to do on there, um, the TV and films will interlink a lot more, I think, in, they in already, more subtle ways. But, they, yeah. they already do, don't they? Like, they've made mentions about the the Battle of New York, and they've made yeah, Jacobia and things. But, yeah, but, but nothing that obviously has a character interaction. Yeah, but I mean, not. imagine yeah. if in a Spider-Man film, say the third one, there was a mention of this new crime lord who's, you know, he, he, he's he's finagled his way out of out of prison and he's he's got people under his thumb and he's doing all these, you know, extravagant moves. If they just mention that it's like brown trouser time. Cause I will, I will full on shit myself. If there's any kind of mention of the Kingpin in a Spider-Man film. Yeah. It's going to be cool. It, I'd, it, I'd like it, to see that kind of stuff happen a little bit more. I, I'd like to see that, so you know, cool. some like Daredevil and Punisher get that kind of respect they deserve. Cause they are, you know, quite rightly just, incredible you know pieces of tv uh, it, and that's that's all i could put it down to there's so. only one problem with this season though now how the hell do they top this or, See, or and, this? and a lot of me goes <laughs> just draw a line under it and and as much as i love the characters and what they do i don't think you can top it and it feels like a very nice rounded arc you know it feels like they've gone somewhat full circle and the characters have you know, it, you know, you had that kind of Nelson and Murdoch back together for a brief thing, you know, and you had them having a client in a way again and all that oh, kind and of they, stuff. Oh, and they got the brilliant happy moment at the end, didn't they, with um, Paige, Nelson and Murdoch's got a nice yeah. thing to it. The, that was like the, that's the shawarma scene, isn't it, at the end of, um, yeah. of, of Avengers, <laughs> that little one, ju- just to get you... That, that big smile on your face. Yeah, and it, and I liked that. I felt like it needed that payoff because these characters are the characters you've, you've kind of, you know, come to love, really. And it, it, it you needed something like that. Karen's had a shit time of things. Charlie's not had the best time. And and Foggy's kind of always been the fall guy, you know? He's always been the guy they, they lean back on and he's, he's always been there. And it's, yeah, I thought it was... Really well done. Uh, it's a fantastic series, and it's just a credit to absolutely everyone involved in it. And 
it's something like we said we'll go back and watch again and again it's something you know i can't wait to watch again that's how i feel about it 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 just goes to show what they can do when they've got the right people involved yeah and i mean this is another you know we can talk a lot about this kind of stuff um, and we will come back to it at some point. And we might even come back to talk about The Walking Dead because this series is much improved. Um, but that is all down to a showrunner. And and it does help. It's the director. It's it's the person that links it all together. Um, and on TV, that's just such a pivotal thing. And, well, do you know, you know one Dave- of the key things for, that makes Daredevil a success for me? It's some of the people that they've got acting as um, associate producer, uh, executive producer, sorry, Two yeah. big names from the world of comics, Jeff Loeb, yeah, um, and crucially for me, Joe Casada. Joe Casada yeah. wrote one of the other best Daredevil books, um, Guardian Devil, yeah, which deals with Karen's illness. I won't say too much in case anyone no. read it, but Joe Casada to me, he's like Mister Daredevil. But if I remember rightly, he's also done Spider Man as well. Yeah, so, I think so. He, I, I, and that's the thing. You need they just get all these, these people involved. in. They, they get all these people in who are just comic book people that you know they, they're not just people that have worked on the people TV that shows. produce the show get it. Yeah, that, they, that's they, the best way to they get the it. show just, because they, they it, wrote man. the books, they wrote the comics, so they know the source material better than someone who's a writer for ABC or something like that. He's like, I wrote Daredevil. I know how to produce a Daredevil show. If yeah. more, if they if they stick with that formula, and if more people follow that formula, you can't really go too far wrong with it. But like you said, the show has got of to be at the top pieces. of it. To, yeah, to pull but there's that a lot of moving together. pieces that have got to come into place. It's, it's not always a a winning formula, but that's the fundamentals of it. And and again why we talk about how successful Marvel have been and what we hope for DC to do is, is you have someone like Kevin Feige that sits on top of that and just knows where to pull the strings, knows who to bring in at what time and knows which directors to lean on and which producers and which writers. Um, and they're very transparent about it, but it works. And, and, and that's the thing it's, it's, it's bringing the right people in the right positions. It's the same in business. It's the same anywhere. Um, isn't it funny as well that Wilson Bethel who, um, Dex. who played Dex, a.k.a. Bullseye, apparently was very close to being cast as Captain America. Yeah, it, I can see that. He, he, see that. he spoke about it, and it's, he says he, he went back. and he'd He's got that like, kind of Steve Rogers look at He'd auditioned yeah. in the suit with the shield, and he got to like the final stages, and then about two or three days later, he got the call saying that they'd, they'd gone with Chris Evans. So it sounds like he was down to like the final couple of people. Yeah, and it wouldn't surprise me. A lot of these things do move in circles. Whenever I've since the the IMD era that we live in, you get to know all this kind of stuff about who auditioned for that, who just missed out on that. Um, and yeah, no, I'm pleased he got a part. He's obviously a villain, um, but he's a very good one. And he's gonna if they are gonna do more series, gonna be obviously a, a massive. You've got to think that. that next next season will probably be a bit more like two where Kingpin's there in the background, but it's got to be very much... I think they'd move Bullseye. away a bit from Kingpin because you've had two seasons of him. Um, so I think Bullseye would be the focus and they might it, move some You'd think Bullseye, pieces. but then having Bullseye is a logical way to then maybe mention, well, what the hell happened to Elektra? 
because obviously they they've got a big comic yeah, history. Yeah, but I think they maybe realised the stuff with the hand and stuff had been a bit overplayed and a bit. The stuff tight. with the hand had, but I'm talking just Electra personally. Because yeah, I know. Ele- Electra yeah. and Bullseye have got such a comic book history where he he's the one that actually kills her. Yeah, and it's it's, it's going to be interesting which way they go about things. Going I, I don't think it will be too long before we get confirmation of season four because the the hype it just seems like the the Daredevil season three hashtag has been trending for it feels like a couple of months. Because... It feels like it's just riding that wave, and I think you know everyone is now ready to put down their remote controls and and play um, Red Dead Redemption for the next six months. Yeah. But you know things like this do do make waves and do make impacts in the kind of cultural thing. That's what why we like to do this podcast because we like to hit those kind of cultural pop you know pop culture hit hit moments in in 2018. What I remember is probably Daredevil because you've got no strange things, you've got no Game of Thrones, you've got no other. You know, this is the year for it, and they've really kind of successfully done that. Obviously, Infinity was the big ripple earlier in the year, and it's had such a knock-on effect. Um, and that's that's the kind of key. That's what it does. Um, and yeah, it's 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 a nice thing to to have, have, have really just appreciated, and I appreciate all aspects of it. That's what we're talking about. We don't just appreciate all the stuff they've done to make a series of this level of quality and there's so much goes into it it's 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 impressive really seriously impressive it is it's very impressive to to have to have that that level of consistency across 13 hours of tv with no noticeable dips in tempo or quality or emotion is it's impressive it's yeah. very, very impressive, and long may it continue. I completely. I, agree. I want Daredevil season fucking fifteen. Well, I mean, you're the kind of guy that that does, uh, you know. But I, I've also been burnt by things that go on too long, and I just don't know. I, I'm a bit torn on the subject, but I, I wouldn't ever say no to another series. Let's put it that way. So. Yeah. Um, right, on that note, because we need to stop talking eventually, um, we will leave you. It might be a, a two or three weeks before we come back with another one. Um, we've had some really good interaction. We do really appreciate it. Um, but do please continue to talk about us to your friends and family if you would like to. Um, maybe not your children, because we are quite R-rated. Um, well, especially me. Especially you. Yeah, I'm a little bit more PG-13 than you. You're a little bit R-rated for that audience. And yeah, like us on iTunes, share us whichever way you want. And just keep talking to us. I, I, like I said, that's the ultimate thing that that we actually care about. It's it's that interaction. And some really good people um, promote us and, and like what we do and talk to us and suggest stuff. And we will keep listening and we will keep taking things on board. And yeah, we will look to get guests on in the future. And there's some good stuff we look to talk about in the next coming weeks months years perhaps we're also going to have another another giveaway coming up to do with this pod uh details should be coming out for that uh probably tomorrow when the episodes launch so by the time you hear this we should have the details out there but it'll be the same format as the last one there'll just be one post we ask that anyone enters uh, just by following the account retweet that post and that's it you're in and that will be to win a copy of the the daredevil born again a graphic yeah. novel from Amazon. So again, that was, sadly, that will be UK only. For the time being. Yes. For the time being, yeah, until we start rolling in. If you in. like us and share us more, then these things will change. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Yeah, exactly. So, yeah. Right. 
on that note, thank you very much for listening. And we look forward to you reveling in our love for this great series. And we will be back with you in a few weeks.